Hang time headlines back with another episode covering some of the day two, day three NFL draft action. You know we had to squeeze one more podcast in while we still got Drew all the way out from Boston. How you doing, bro? What up, guys? I'm doing well. Good to be here. John's here as well. OG hang time headlines. How you doing? What's up, guys? As we mentioned, we wanted to dive into some of the second, third round action of the NFL draft, as well as give you our complete breakdown from some of the first round picks. You know, we gave you our pre-pick live reaction and post-pick coverage, but now that we've had a night to sleep about it, maybe we can give you a little more concise take. Like, for example, I was not too happy when the Patriots drafted Mac Jones, but it looks like I got no other option. Huge Mac Jones fan now. He's the future of the franchise. Let's go, Pats. It's the start of an era. My question is, is there going to be a QB competition, or is Cam just going to be the bona fide starter year one? I would assume Cam Newton bona fide starter year one. Yeah, John, it's really interesting you say that because Bill Belichick came out after the draft and the first thing he said in his press conference was that Cam Newton was the starter. Then he went on to go and talk about Mac Jones, how he liked the pick. And one of the questions after was, well, how long is Cam Newton the starter for? Will there be a competition? When will we see Mac Jones? And Bill Belichick gave a very snappy answer. He said, Cam Newton's the starter as long as he's the better quarterback. And that's it. That's all he said. It's classic Bill Belichick. (laughs) Definitely not showing any of his cards, but Mac Jones, it looks like he's here for good. And draft night, I was very upset. I watched Mac Jones all year, and I just have to say, I wasn't impressed. I didn't want the Patriots to draft him. I felt like it was kind of a reach in the sense that Bill Belichick hadn't scouted any of the other quarterbacks. Yeah, he'd maybe sent McDaniels, but if you're looking at the most important position of the franchise, I'd rather you not be talking to your buddies and getting info from them if you haven't seen the rest of the prospects available. So that really bugged me to begin with. I'm just still absolutely baffled by that take, that you think that Bill Belichick has not done his homework on every player in this class. Bill Belichick doesn't have a life outside of football. He literally lives, breathes, eats, and then when he sleeps, he dreams about football. I guarantee you he has watched all the quarterbacks plenty of times, and clearly where he thought he could get the best value was with Mac Jones at 15. It's interesting you say that, Drew, because he did have multiple chances to go to Trey Lance's pro day, Justin Fields' pro day, who are a couple picks ahead of him, and there were pictures of him on the beach in Coral Gables, Florida with Linda Holiday. So he could have been seeing these prospects in person. I'm not arguing that he hasn't watched the film. I just think at the most important position, you got to go all the way. you got to meet the player before you draft him, and he only met Mac Jones. I don't know. I think that you can get enough on the player based on film. Like A lot of times, these pro days, you're not even seeing what the player actually has because it's not like there's any defensive players playing against him there's no lineman running in his face a lot of times the best view you're going to get from a player is him in actual game action and I assume that Bill has watched each quarterback for hours if not days on game film and he came down to the decision that Mac Jones was his guy do you think that Bill could just be of the mind that pro days are stupid and they mean nothing There's a lot of people that have that belief, so I wouldn't be shocked. And I think that pro days also have different values for different positions more. Going to see a pro day for a quarterback is much different than 
going to one for a cornerback. Yeah, I don't really know the value of a pro day, and I'm sure it differs among coaches, but in this year in particular, when there was no combine, I feel like it was really the only opportunity to meet these players, not on a Zoom. Another thing that kind of bugged me is Bill Belichick didn't coach the Senior Bowl. He was given that opportunity and didn't take it up had quarterbacks there that he could have taken a look at as well. So I just think he could have done a more complete job for the draft. I think the toughest part about this Mac Jones pick is that, as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm rooting for him now. He's the future of my franchise. I got no other option. And it's really hard to make this comparison for me to any other league, any other sport, any other scenario, because I watch college football and the NFL on a religious basis. I am an avid fan of both. And there are certain players in sports that for one reason or another, maybe they're on your favorite team, maybe they're on your rivals, you root actively against them. You think they're bad. You think they're going to be a bust. You don't like them. And Mac Jones was that player. So now to have to do an entire complete flip on my take about Mac Jones is difficult for me. My one question for you, Drew and John, is that do you think this was entirely a Bill Belichick pick or with Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl and Robert Kraft shelling out the most money he's ever given to his team in free agency, there was some external pressure, external factors in this quarterback pick, maybe not Mac Jones in particular, but do you think there were people saying, if there's a quarterback there and you like him, Bill, please take him? Yeah, I think there was definitely a pressure coming from you know everybody because of there's not really a quarterback on that team. And Bill Belichick says he likes Cam Newton, but obviously there's about a million question marks surrounding Cam Newton. So Bill Belichick, I think, was kind of put in a situation where whatever quarterback fell to him, he was going to have to take him. But I feel like there was a lot of pressure from the fans, from Robert Kraft, from absolutely everyone, which Bill Belichick, to be fair, though, doesn't really succumb to pressure. He's known to do what he wants to do and so maybe there's even some feeling of all right Tom Brady just won his Super Bowl like now I have to hit back now I have to get my quarterback of the future who can be the next Tom Brady and prove that this wasn't Tom Brady this was the Bill Belichick show so maybe there's some external pressure that's something to worry about with this Mac Jones pick Yeah, Drew, and we know that Bill Belichick is competitive for sure. One final point, too, is that Robert Kraft did come out and speak about this pick, and one of the first things he said was, this first-round pick, it's for all the Patriots fans out there, which I think speaks to some of that pressure we've been talking about. We take a break from this podcast to give a huge shout-out to our sponsor, The Dojo. These boys are the best sports handicappers on Instagram. Dudes always have great deals and love making their clients money. We've been working with them for a minute now, and it's really not that difficult. If you like free money, go toss them a follow at Dojo Bets. That's D-O-J-O underscore B-E-T-Z on Instagram. Hit them up for their packages and deals. They will get you guys stacking up your money. As memorable as the Mac Jones pick is for Drew and I, that's the first quarterback the Patriots have taken in the first round since Drew Bledsoe in 1993. John with the Saints, Peyton Turner, he didn't even know who he was at the time, and in all fairness, Drew and I weren't too familiar with him either. This was kind of a pick out of nowhere. So when the pick initially happened, when you guys didn't know who he was, and you guys watch a lot more college football than I do, I was a little bit concerned considering he went into the first round. But I really cannot complain about how we drafted. We didn't have an overwhelming amount of picks. We got a D-end, which I asked for. 
that one might have been a little bit of a reach, but we'll see how he ends up playing because, you know, Teron Armstead was seen as a reach a few years ago, and he worked out really well. Same with Marcus Davenport. The second round pick, Pete Werner, the linebacker. I asked for a linebacker, so I can't really complain there. And I wanted a corner. They got another one from Stanford. They actually traded up for him, so it seemed like they like him a lot. And, you know, as far as the QB we drafted in the fourth round, we need a QB three. Jameis is going to run the QB one. Taysom Hill is going to do his thing as, you know, the gadget player that he is. And then we're going to have this guy as the backup. Ian Book has that Jared Stidham feeling for the Saints. John, it's really interesting because going into the draft, me and you were talking about how the Saints could really use some help in the front seven and maybe add another player to that secondary. And with a defensive end, linebacker, and corner, they did just that. Now, my question is, do you think Jameis Winston will be the starter for the Saints? Because Taysom Hill, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some action, especially if Jameis struggles early, maybe even in the preseason. I just think the mobility with Hill can't be discounted. I totally agree that they would put him in. That's not by any means out of the realm of possibility. But I think week one, Jameis isn't starting. Sean Payton clearly loves Taysom Hill, but I just don't see the potential at quarterback. I think he's much better suited to be that gadget player that Sean Payton can use and move around, and I think he provides a better value to the team in that role. This past draft was pretty crazy, honestly, guys. In particular, something that stuck out to me is that 14 wide receivers went in the first three rounds, including five first-round wide receivers, as well as 16 cornerbacks in the first three rounds and five in the first round, too. Definitely teams prioritizing getting some weapons on the outside as the league becomes a passing league, as well as defending those weapons. Let's get into which teams you guys think had the best drafts. For me to start it off, I really liked what the Jets did. Zach Wilson, number two overall. I think if they give him time, this kid's going to be a stud. The issue is there's no way, shape, or form where I don't see the Jets starting him week one or very early in the season. I wish they'd kept Sam Darnold so they could have sat him for a year and just let him develop in the system while they keep adding talent. But that pick makes sense. You needed a quarterback. Then they traded up in front of the Patriots to pick Elijah Vera Tucker. There were rumors that the Pats liked him a lot and maybe would have considered him over Mac Jones at 15. That's neither here nor there, but the facts are that Vera Tucker can play. You need help on the offensive line. We saw what happened to Darnold, and to make that as your first move after selecting Zach Wilson makes a lot of sense. The second round, they added Elijah Moore. That was one of my favorite wide receiver prospects on the board at that time. The Jets got some younger wide receivers with Jamison Crowder, as well as Denzel Mims, and they brought in Corey Davis, so they're really adding to a loaded wide receiver core. Then, sneaky fourth-round pick Michael Carter running back out of North Carolina. He was part of that duo that absolutely ripped up the U-Miami defense for over 500 yards. I don't want to hear about that game. You lose Le'Veon Bell, need some help in the backfield, so all around just building out the offense. Love what the Jets did. The Jets had two picks inside the top 15, The team that I chose was in a much different situation. I went with the kind of surprising team, the Houston Texans. Didn't pick until round three. There wasn't really much to work with, obviously, after trading away pretty much their entire draft capital, Bill O'Brien, before he left town. Nick Casario and David Culley, the brand new GM and head coach duo, they didn't have a whole lot to work with. 
But with their first pick in round three, selecting Davis Mills, I think this kid out of Stanford has some of the most potential to be a solid pro quarterback. They run a pretty pro system down at Stanford, and I think that they could mold him into the next quarterback of the Houston Texans with the right coaching. I know that they have Deshaun Watson, but Deshaun Watson's up in the air. No one quite knows what's going to happen with that situation. So bringing another guy into that quarterback room is never a bad idea. With their next pick, they chose Nico Collins, big 6'4", 215-pound wide receiver out of Michigan. Runs a 4'4", There's some big play potential, big wide receiver one potential right there. As Schwally was just saying, a lot of teams are making a run on wide receivers, getting targets for their quarterbacks, and I think that the Texans might have found a diamond in the rough here. With their first pick in the fifth round, Brevin Jordan. I'm a U Miami fan, so I saw a lot of Brevin Jordan. I think he's easily right up there with, I'm not going to say up there with Kyle Pitts, but Pat Fryermuth. Schwally, you were talking about how there were five wide receivers who went into the first round, three of which were in the top 10. My favorite team this draft, at least so far, is the Miami Dolphins. Getting Jalen Waddle at six, Jalen Phillips, a solid pass rusher who's debatably not even the best on his team, but, you know, by all accounts from a Miami fan right here, he's good. He's nasty. Brian Flores getting a solid safety out of Oregon and Javon Holland. Good defensive player for a really good defensive coach. Liam Eichenberg, who a lot of people in their mock drafts thought could go first round. He's a solid tackle. Really want to help out Tua Tagovailoa. And Hunter Long, also another weapon for Tua. Yeah, John, I think the Dolphins went with a lot of high potential players in the draft. And if it pans out, they're going to be a scary team for sure. Let's kind of flip this around now and talk about some of the teams that we think didn't do a great job. For me personally, the Seahawks is a team that I'm going to have to harp on for a minute. Pete Carroll was really strong on draft day early on in his career in Seattle, but I think we've seen a pretty concerning trend the last couple years. The penny pick sticks out to me, at least, taking that running back in the first round when you already had Chris Carson, and he hasn't panned out for sure. Seahawks, additionally this year, had already traded away their first round pick for Jamal Adams. They won't have a first next year as well, so it's even more important that they draft players later in the draft on a day two, day three, and that they pan out. And my issue is I just don't really like the positions that they targeted. I'm not saying these players are going to be bad, but picking a wide receiver in the second round and a corner in the fourth round in Dwayne Eskridge and Trey Brown makes absolutely no sense. If you just look at the Seahawks, they have Tyler Lockett, they have DK Metcalf, they signed Gerald Everett, there's plenty of weapons, their offense is not the problem. There's a saying called, let Russ cook. The man cooks, okay? He puts up points. The issue has been the offensive line. Russell Wilson has been hit an absurd amount to start his career. And as he gets older, it's going to be even more important that you protect him. So to not take an offensive lineman in the first five rounds to me is borderline insanity. A team that did very well in the past season was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, obviously taking home their first Super Bowl in a while under Tom Brady. However, I don't think they've had quite as good of a draft weekend. Coming off a Super Bowl win in which they brought back pretty much their entire roster, I felt that the Buccaneers' focus should have been more on finding players with big potential who can you know, make an impact 
in the years following this upcoming year. I think there are definitely players available where they were selecting that have more potential, have more of that star potential that the Buccaneers would be looking for in the future. You know, Joe Tryon in the first round, I know we were calling all night Christian Barrymore out of Alabama for them at number 32. Kyle Trask backing up Tom Brady. If you're gonna go quarterback to back up Tom Brady with, first of all, your second pick in the draft, when there's really no need there, there was still Kellen Mond on the board. There was still Davis Mills on the board. Offensive tackle next. The line is already solid. Why not get like a big receiver maybe for Tom Brady? And then speaking receiver, they get a 5'8 receiver in the fourth round when you know you already have Scotty Miller. It's just kind of all over the place, not really looking at the future. Questionable night for the Buccaneers. You know, when I was thinking about which team could be worse, I was thinking about what team needed something the most. And when I got to the Titans, I think they desperately, desperately, desperately needed pass rushers. And I just don't think they prioritized that in this draft. In the first round, they went out and got Caleb Farley, who is a great player, and I'm not going to harp on them for that. There is the fact that he's a bit of a boomer bust player because he has some injury history and has had two back surgeries. So great player. If he didn't get injured, he could have gone top 10 easily, but that's kind of risky. And then they didn't end up getting a D end or any kind of pass rusher until the fourth round at the very end. So they're going to go into the next year having the exact same problem as last. And it's just, it's redundant. Yeah, John, getting after the quarterbacks, a clear need for the Titans. They signed Jadavian Clowney last year and that didn't quite pan out. Speaking of players who can get after the quarterback, My favorite pick of the draft was the Patriots, who traded the 46th pick, the 122nd pick, and the 139th pick to Cincinnati for the right to draft Alabama defensive lineman Christian Barmore. And if you listen to any of our draft podcasts, at least in the second half, I start predicting that every single team is going to take Christian Barmore because it's just the smart move. He was the best defensive tackle available on the board. He's an absolute no bust. I'm telling you, you're looking at a player that's going to be on the Patriots for the next 10 years. And so while my instant reaction to the Mac Jones pick wasn't too hot, the second the Patriots traded up for Barmore, we're all outside enjoying our evening. It's like 6 or 7 p.m. And I'm starting to yell at the boys like, yo, let's mic up. Let's mic up. They're taking Barmore. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. It all worked out. That's who they ended up picking. And I could not be more excited about it. I don't want to compare him to Vince Wilfork, but he's going to be a scary man in the middle of that defense. My best pick of the draft comes out of Pittsburgh. Steelers taking Pat Fryermuth, keeping him in Pennsylvania from Penn State. I actually had them taking him in the first round. They ended up going with Najee Harris. I know that we were saying very good things about that pick giving Ben Roethlisberger some weapons in his last couple of years, a guy like Najee Harris, a guy like Pat Fryermuth. That's what you want to do. Ben Roethlisberger, we know he's on his last legs, but he can still operate an offense. He still has a big arm. Pat Fryermuth is maybe not quite the weapon that Kyle Pitts is, but he's a better blocker. He's a better all-around tight end. He's a guy 6'5", 6'5", just like Heath Miller, who played a bunch of years under Ben Roethlisberger. I think this is an outstanding pick for the Steelers in round two. Not to mention, they got Claypool and Juju, so whoever the next quarterback is after Big Ben is coming into a young, talented offensive team. My favorite pick in this draft has to be Justin Fields going to the Bears. 
to get a generational talent quarterback like Justin Fields, they only gave up one extra first round pick. They didn't have to sell their future. They really needed to solve that mess after Mitch Trubisky. And I think this gives them a really good chance of righting that wrong. To get him at 11 was an absolute steal. So I applaud the Bears on doing that best pick in the draft. Yeah, Bears were aggressive for sure. And I have to say, after taking Mitch Trubisky and passing up on the more athletic quarterbacks like uh, Deshaun Watson, like a Patrick Mahomes, it was nice to see them move up and take fields instead of Mac Jones. I bet Bears fans were screaming at their TVs for the Bears to trade up too. So it's good to see them finally do something to make their fans happy. Yeah, Drew, speaking of teams that were really happy draft night, after the Jags took Trevor Lawrence, I know it was inevitable, but still, gotta feel good to have the future of your franchise in place. And we were wondering, okay, well now you got another first round picks, a couple good second round picks, what are the Jags gonna do here? How are they gonna build out the rest of this roster? To pick Travis Etienne in the first round, for me, that is a disastrous pick. Number one, you got James Robinson already. He was a breakout candidate last year. You don't need a running back. And so while I understand wanting to add a player that Trevor Lawrence has chemistry with, knows well, and can add to your team, running back makes no sense. Second of all, a running back in the first round, for the most part, just does not add up when you can get these players undrafted like James Robinson. Not to mention, they signed Carlos Hyde as well, so the backfield is not lacking depth in the slightest. If you look at the Jags' defense, just based on the number of snaps last year, they had the second worst sack percentage in the league. When you have pass rushers like Gregory Rousseau and others available, Barmore, for the interior, that's an option that I think you have to consider, as well as on the outside. You're bringing in Trevor Lawrence, Give them some wide receivers. You got Marvin Jones. You got DJ Chark. Maybe Rashad Bateman would have been a smart move. I just think regardless of whether Travis Etienne works out as a running back, they could have gotten a player with a lot more value in the first round and went running back later on. Yeah, Saxonville feels like it was so long ago. (laughs) Another team where you're looking at a first round pick where they could have possibly gotten some more value is the Oakland Raiders. This is a team that in the past few years, we've been saying the same thing. They seem to reach for the guys that they like. They take Alex Leatherwood at number 17. It was really the first kind of shocking name off the board where you're like, all right, where the heck did this guy come from? He probably would have, you know, been there in the second round. He's more of a second round pick. He's a good lineman. I'm not saying it's going to not work out or it's going to fail miserably for the Raiders. However, The Raiders are a team that need playmakers. Ever since Khalil Mack left, that defense has lacked star playmakers. There are quite a few defensive ends left on the board. Quiddy Pay, possibly the best defensive end left on the board. Alex Leatherwood possibly would have been around in the second round as well. Maybe they would have had to move up, but they traded up to select Trayvon Morig in the second round. So they didn't show that they didn't want to move up in the second round. They ended up doing it eventually. So I think in the first round, you need to take your playmaker. If Alex Leatherwood is really a guy that you want, move up in the second and select him there. So to round it off, probably the worst pick of the entire night, the Green Bay Packers with the 29th pick in the first round select cornerback Eric Stokes. The day that their MVP quarterback expressed that he no longer wanted to be in Green Bay. And so instead of going with some weapons, going with some offensive help for him, like he has expressed and like you fumbled the bag on last year, they go with a corner, 
which I'm not denying that they needed, but they needed their MVP level quarterback even more than that. In round one, they were expected to take a weapon. They were one of the teams that were expected to move up to select one of the top wide receivers. And, you know, all night we were sitting around wondering when are the Packers going to trade up, when are the Packers going to trade up. And I know we were talking right before the pick, like, oh, well, they must be sitting there because they know exactly who they want. They've got their guy. It turns out all night their guy was a defensive back. Do the Packers even have a draft room or is it literally just like a picture of their town hall? Well, there you go. That's our draft recap. Let us know your thoughts. You like our best picks, worst picks, best teams, worst teams. As always, drop a like, comment, subscribe, follow us on Spotify. I'm out. See you later, guys. Thanks for watching. Balling crazy with the hang time.